0: Welcome to the Whiskey Rebellion. This is David Silkenat in Edinburgh, joined as always by Frank Cagliano. How are you doing, Frank? I'm
1: fabulous, David. Thank you very much.
0: So last Sunday was Father's Day, both in the U.S. and in the U.K. And and Frank, I didn't get a chance to wish you a happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, Frank. Thank you, David. Happy Father's Day to you too. Uh, uh, this was since this was the 50th anniversary of at least Father's Day as a is a national celebration, or at least. Uh, nationally recognized holiday, uh, we thought it would be an opportunity to, to talk about the history of Father's Day and, and fatherhood and, and what this all means.
1: Yes, it should be said that, uh, so so you're correct, that in 1972, Richard Nixon signed the legislation creating Father's Day as a national holiday in the United States, but as we'll see, it has deeper roots than that, uh, and it is worth observing, as you hinted at in, in your intro, that... Um, Father's Day is one of the few holidays, along with Mother's Day, which we'll be talking about a little mm. bit today as well, that's celebrated almost everywhere, or some f- version of it. So Father's Day as a holiday in June mm. is celebrated in many, many countries. It's celebrated at different times in different, t- in, mm. in different countries. But I think 111 yeah. countries celebrate Father's Day. It might even be more than that. Something
0: like that. And, they, and as you point out, there are different versions of it. Intriguingly... There are two different Mother's Days in the U.S. and the U.K.
1: Well, there are different days. days. they are yeah. different days, right? right?
0: Whereas Father's Day is the same day.
1: Yes, that's Which right.
0: Which is intriguing. I mean, and that, I think, actually has to do with the history of it and, and when it... How it and my
1: son, our son, who was our first child, I probably shouldn't be saying this because one of our dozens of listeners might steal his identity, uh, <laughs> was born on Mothering Sunday, as they call uh, it, yes. uh, occasionally a Mother's Day here in the U.K., um, a few years ago. Now, does Father's
0: Day, in your opinion, get as much respect as Mother's Day or Mothering Sunday?
1: Well, what do, what do you mean by respect? Well. Wait, this isn't going to be some. You are going to go on some kind of like no, okay, men's I, rights grievance in this podcast, are you, Ryan David? Are you? Is this going to be, what day? Why, why is every day Mother's Day, but <laughs> we only get no, Father's Day well, once a so year? So I'll, I'll just give you a just. <laughs> what are you getting at, David? Unburden yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have lots
0: of burdens, Frank. I'm not sure this is the podcast for that. Um, one I means one of the things that I, in doing research for this I, I noticed uh, was that you know the amount of money that gets spent on gifts for Mother's Day versus Father's Day is radically different. Mothers, you know, on average, of course, this is according to the National Retail Federation. Mothers get gifts on average of $186 uh, for a total of twenty three billion dollars spent every year this is in the united states this is the united states uh and whereas for fathers they get 135 dollars, or on average uh something in the order of 15 and a dollars and the numbers for the uk seem comparable uh and you know getting a, a reservation for brunch on, on mother's day very very difficult not so difficult on father's day um and so they it, i'm just intrigued by those numbers and what they mean about these two days and their histories and, and what
1: I would make two observations uh, about that one is and I don't I, and these are avoiding your respect question one is who's doing that spending hmm. when children are small of course it's the other parent buying for or it's it's one parent buying for the other to be sure I would suggest not because they're more generous but probably because they don't plan ahead and are more desperate that fathers when buying gifts for their kids to give to the their wives or partners on mother's day probably go in and spend a lot of money without much thinking or much forethought because they leave it to the last minute whereas mothers are more likely to plan ahead and so that might reflect it david's giving me a real i wish this were with this were well, a just, video but i think that's true there's lots and of, the second so let me finish yes. and, and with regard to brunch uh, i get mother's day in the U.K., it's in March. We'll leave the U.K. out of this debate. But in the U.S., it's always in May. May a nicer time to go for brunch. You know, By June, by late June, people are often on vacation or schools coming to an end. It's a less... Uh, people would celebrate Father's Day in other ways besides going to brunch.
0: Well, it's intriguing to me. First, I'll, I'll, I'll not deal with the gender essentialism of your... but But I would say that it's intriguing that, that there are you know, very different... You don't think men buy
1: last-minute gifts? everybody than,
0: um, everybody buys last minute gifts and some people and so i don't want to but on your other point i think it's intriguing that there are sort of a separate repertoire of things for mother's day and father's day you know yeah, brunch
1: is really expected for mother's day. day
0: and whereas father's day there's like this association at least in the united states of grilling outside and like dad will be in charge of you know smoking some kind of animal product or something at least that's the the stereotype oh, attached
1: david to it. such gender essentialism <laughs> uh, anyway um so let's talk about the origin uh,
0: of father's day because i think it's actually they're they're linked to the origin of mother's day
1: before we do this though yeah. so do you actually believe though that father's day doesn't get as much respect as mother's day as measured if, if, in, in your in crass monetary well, way it, i think it's always been
0: in the in the Shadow of Mother's Day because Mother's Day comes first and and Mother's Day inspires came first came yes uh, what well, else comes first in the calendar yeah. um but it I, it you know it Father's Day grew out of 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 Mother's Day in a way in terms of its origins we'll talk about that in a minute uh, and for much of the you know the first fifty years in which. Father's Day was celebrated, you know, it, it originates in the early part of the 20th century. There is this sense where, you know, the, there was a, a debate happening about how one should recognize fathers and do fathers deserve as much recognition as as mothers do. Um, and, and there's some interesting stuff that happens in the 19th, we'll get to that. But let's talk about the origin of, of Father's Day. Well, there's a couple of different origin stories, but I think there's one that's probably the predominant
1: one. Yeah, mind? I mean, there are, there are several origin stories, and they, they come together in the early part of, of the 20th century. I mean, it should be said, there are versions of Father's Day going back centuries. Yes. I mean, uh, St. Joseph's Day in particular, Joseph, of course, being the uh, stepfather of Jesus, um, on March 19th, is tradition in a lot of countries going back to the, the early modern period, was, was celebrated as a kind of quasi Father's Day. Mm. Uh, but in the U.S., in the U.S. context, we get celebrations of Father's Day. Interesting discussion, and there's an interesting debate about how Father's Day should be spelled, whether it's apostrophe S or S apostrophe, which goes to what are you actually celebrating? And, and the same was true for Mother's Day. Yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, But what we see is around in the progressive era, we see the emergence of Father's Day. So there are a couple of origin points um, one that often gets mentioned is a celebration that took place in Fairmont, West Virginia in July of 1908 when um, a commemoration was held in the aftermath of a mining disaster that took place the year before in December of 1907 that killed 361 men, 250 of whom were fathers and there was a sort of ceremony to mark the, the deaths of of these of these fathers, uh, the following the following summer, uh, they generally reckoned to be the first Father's Day in the United States. However, took place a couple of years later, in Spokane, Washington. Um, do you want to say a little bit about that? Sure. This is a civil War link to it. Yeah, everything's got a civil yeah, war. Of course, link, so. of course,
0: it does. <laughs> All the important things. Um, so the the woman who gets credit credited with with this origin story is a woman by the name of Sonora Smart Dodd. Uh, and she was inspired in part by the recently created Mother's Day. There had been a long campaign to create a Mother's Day. And uh, during the Progressive Era, they they uh, established that as a, as a national holiday. And she thought that there should be a similar holiday for fathers. And she was inspired in large part by her own father, uh, William Jackson Smart, um, who is often described in these as a a uh, Civil War veteran, and he was a Civil War veteran. But when, whenever when they say Civil War veteran, I'm like, oh, what, what side did he fight on? Turns out he fought on both sides. He was from Arkansas, and, and then he was captured in Pea Ridge in 1862. So he fought for the Confederacy, uh, captured in 1862, and then fought for the Union. So he fought for both. So Civil War veteran. Um, but her father uh, ended up raising Sonora and a whole bunch of siblings. Uh, when their mother died. It turned, they were a blended family. He'd been married previously, or their mother had been married previously. So they had a whole bunch of, uh, of kids and he ends up raising all of them by himself when uh, Sonora's mother dies uh, in childbirth. Uh, and so she approaches uh, local ministers and the local YMCA to set aside a day for fathers. And originally she wanted it to be on June 5th, which was her father's birthday. Uh, but the minister said, that's too close to Mother's Day. We should move it back a little bit so they, they pick the uh, third Sunday in June so they could have more distance between those two dates.
1: So this is interesting to me, David, because uh, what we get is, I, I think there were six children in that family, yeah. if memory serves. And what we get is this holiday originating, if you will, in exceptional paternalism on <laughs> in this particular story. So there's mm. a kind of... This is heroic fatherhood, right? Because yes. the mother has died. And the, there's a kind of implication that somehow a father doing this is uh, raising a family on his own in 1910 or in that decade. Mm. is incredibly noteworthy and, and something to be remarked upon and celebrated. Is that a fair... Yes, yes
0: of it? I, I, think, I think it is. Um, you know, she describes her father as being both like a... a father and a mother to us and so that she I think she was trying to, to do that what's intriguing though about this event is it actually you know it's first celebrated in in 1909 it doesn't really catch on and there's a variety of people who are pushing for some kind of Father's Day in the Progressive era um, you know uh, Jane Adams famously of, of Hull House in Chicago says look we should have a Father's day there's other organizations and groups that that say maybe we should have a Father's Day, you know, we should make this a more, you know, uh, recognized event on par with what was then becoming a a real, uh, you know, nationally recognized Mother's Day. But there was also some pushback against Father's Day. Uh, there was an article in the New York Times in 1926 and it said, it has been suggested that it was Father's Natural Modesty which caused the plan to have a National Father's Day to fail. Uh, and so there was uh, you know, a movement against sort of Father's Day. And there was a concern that, that Father's Day was becoming commercialized, that, that, that this was really just a ploy to sell people stuff. Um, and and in fact, there does seem to be some interest in Father's Day very early on, by necktie producers, and by uh, the tobacco industry. And there's actually a debate between the tobacco industry people and the necktie people over which day Father's Day should be celebrated. The necktie people I think wanted uh, the uh, the twenty first and, and of June and. The tobacco people won. The fourteenth of June, they fought over it for a series of why I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think it was sort of power. They eventually settled on 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 June twenty first, uh, which then was the day in the nineteen twenties. Um, but there there was a, a, a fight over it, and I think there was a recognition that maybe this was kind of a cash grab. Um, and so there was, but there was also,
1: it. but it wasn't just that. Although it's interesting, of course, you in in uh, opening this up measured our attachment to these holidays mm. by the amount of money spent, which uh, suggests it is a cash grab. Um, but also there was a kind of gendered backlash to this as well, with some men saying Father's Day, because it mimics of course, you can't talk about Father's Day without talking about Mother's Day, mm-hmm. which has deeper roots. And I actually want to explore those in a second. Uh, somehow was effeminate.
0: Yes. And,
1: and, and kind of called into questions notions of manhood in the 20s. And and uh, wasn't really a yeah. fit holiday.
0: Yeah, and if if the the established pattern for Mother's Day was to buy mother flowers, do you buy father flowers? Like that's seemed to many people to be inappropriate. Um, that fatherhood you know, should be its own reward or
1: something. You buy him tobacco and a tie. Exactly apparently. right. <laughs> so 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 David, before we move on though, can can we just unpack Mother's Day for a second? Because Mother's sure. Day is really important to understanding this, I think, or or motherhood, mm. which might partially explain. Notwithstanding my slightly tongue-in-cheek explanation earlier of the difference between Mother's Day and Father's Day, um, motherhood is inscribed in America, um, and not just the United States, but in the United States, mm. it's invested with real political significance with the founding of the country. So we get this concept of Republican motherhood that basically kind of tells women, it's a kind of it's a norm that emerges. Mm. Largely articulated by men, it should be said, that says to at least middle-class and elite women, your job is mm. to be a mother, and your but motherhood is um, is a politically significant act or or way of of living because your job as a as a woman is to inculcate Republican values into your children. And raise your sons to be good citizens and your daughters to be Republican mothers, and that this is the role this is the most important role for women. And this, this emerges in the revolutionary era. It's hotly debated among historians as to whether this is a step forward or not for women. And then, you know, because it, it, it definitely places women in the home rather than outside of the home. But there's
0: also like women's colleges that are
1: founded right. by that model. As, and stuff. That's so, right. So, so yeah, there are there are improvements to education. Yes, that's right. I mean, we don't have to belabor all this. Then, of course, we get in in your period, the the emergence, again, this is very class-based, but certainly for middle-class American women, um, with the emergence of the market economy and later industrialization of a kind of separate sphere for women. Mm. And this separate sphere, again, particularly for elite women uh, and particularly for white women, sort of creates a kind of very particular or defines a very particular space and place for women in American society... Which is what celebrated on Mother's Day. By the time we get to Mother's Day in the right. early nineteenth century, men don't have that. I mean, men get kind of everything else. I mean, they're yeah. they're calling the shots in this society. But but there there's that valorization of women, which is paternalistic, doesn't apply to men. Yeah. So so is that a, so what I'm building up to is I'm trying to come I'm trying to work through an explanation for why Father's Day, at least in the in its early days. Doesn't have the purchase that yeah. Mother's Day does. Do you, are you well? Are you I think that?
0: yeah no to be sure. I mean, one of the things that's happening in the second half of the 19th century and well into the 20th century, and and the this happens in, in different ways in different places, of course, is that that men are increasingly working outside the house right. as you develop a market economy. Men are working, and then eventually, when you get things like trains and automobiles and whatnot, and men are commuting to work, you know that 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 the the parenting the child care responsibility is, is, is placed almost exclusively upon women, that men are, are positioned in this role of, of financial provider and less so than in a uh, active parenting role. And so that the parenting, you know, so there's a division there. I think that speaks to this phenomenon you're, you're talking about.
1: Um, Do you just, think that helps explain why father oh, I, I, Father's I, Day isn't as important?
0: I think it does. I think that's a uh, an important part of why Mother's Day catches on first as being something you know the, an un you know part of the reason why they and there's a variety of origin stories for Mother's Day that's a different episode um, you know but part of the the rationale for creating Mother's Day was here is a position society we need to valorize that doesn't get valorized enough on the other three hundred and sixty four days of the year so we create a special day to to uh, you know, thank women for their services, as mothers, kind of thing. That was that was part of the rationale in the progressive era for creating Mother's Day.
1: Yeah, because Mother's Day becomes a national holiday. What in nineteen fourteen, I think.
0: Yes, but it, it you know, and, and there's a long backstory to that that sure. goes back well into the into the nineteenth century. Yeah, in the
1: same way that Father's Day becomes a national holiday Day, in nineteen seventy two, but there are decades of prehistory. True, right, but there's
0: a debate really throughout the teens and 20s and 30s about how to create Father's Day what what that would mean. What is the meaning of Father's Day vis-a-vis Mother's Day? You know, uh, there's a point in which you know, Woodrow Wilson says, maybe we should have a national you know, Father's Day, but Congress says no because they're actually worried about commercialization. They say, no, that, that that's not a good idea. You know, Woodrow Wilson has a thing where he's... Uh, sorry, Coolidge, a few years later, also wants to create a sort of Father's Day, but... Um, there's a, again a sort of backlash in Congress against it,
1: um, David. Why are they so worried about commercialization? This, of course, is the great capitalist country Gee. of the 20th century. They should love commercialization. commercialization. <laughs> yes,
0: I, I, that's a, that's a that's a good point. And I, I the, the, if you boil down, I think the debate part of what they're they're talking about, I think it is you know on the one hand, I think there's a recognition that that national holidays are about Commerce, whether that's you know Christmas or Thanksgiving or what have you, and you know, they even move Thanksgiving Halloween. at one, you know and, you know Halloween you know becomes more prominent you know later. But the you know the, there's always a sense of which these things are commercial. But I think there's always the sense that that Congress wants to make that that they sh- even though they are commercial, we shouldn't see them primarily as commercial opportunities.
1: But I suspect in the history of all American holidays. Oh sure a big part of that history is tut-tutting about the commercialization of of said holiday. Going back to the beginning of whatever the holiday is. Yes, um, And that's almost, uh, that's a kind of performative part of the the celebration of whatever the holiday is. I'm sure people have been complaining about the commercialization of Flag Day. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that one hasn't really, you know, the sale of flags probably does go up on Flag Day vis-a-vis other days. Uh, That would be some interesting data to look at, history of flag. But... um, you know, if I, but there is a real movement by businesses to create a, a you know, a parallel to Mother's Day because they recognize Mother's Day made them a lot of money. Uh, in 1938, the National Dry Goods Retail Organization announced that it wanted to make, quote, Father's Day as important as Mother's Day. Uh, and they set up a National Council for Promotion of Father's Day, which was you know about sort of like how to market this holiday to buy goods that were... You know, targeted at fathers or Father's Day. So, so that, you know, so
1: it doesn't ties and socks and right. Stuff. And of course, that's at the height of the depression. Yes. So so so, so
0: they're thinking very consciously about how do we get people in the stores.
1: So the first couple of decades, this thing doesn't catch on, or it's or it's haphazard mm. at best. It really takes off after the war. Yes. Culminating, I mean, I think LBJ issues an executive order. In 1966, Mm -hmm. um, naming the third Sunday in June, which, again, is a kind of international standard, not universal, but pretty widespread. Um, And then we get Congress passing the legislation in 1972 and Nixon signing it Mm -hmm. in 72. So it's it's institutionalized then and we've had it ever since. But it seems to me that post-war period is incredibly important because that's when we get the post-war boom, economic boom, but we also get the growth of suburbs. You know, the, that, that image of the dad who commutes is, really yes. is at its height I, at that To point. be sure. Um, and also the traditional, though it was never that traditional, a uh, nuclear family as idealized in television programs. We're going to talk about that mm. in, in, a, in a little bit. Um, so it seems to me that that might be the, is that the golden age for Father's Day? Or are we in the golden <sighs> the age, age of Father's, Father's Day? Day. I is don't there a golden know? age of Father's, Father's Day? You know, I I... You know,
0: that's a good question. Um, there is, I think, even during that period, a debate about how to celebrate Father's Day and whether to celebrate Father's Day. One of the more interesting um, passages I found from this period was from 1957 from Maine Senator Margaret Chase Smith, who was one of the few women in, in the Senate uh, during during this period. And she says this, Congress has been guilty now for 40 years of the worst possible oversight against the gallant fathers of our land. Either we honor both our parents, mother and father, or we des- let us desist from honoring either one. But I think it's just fascinating that one of the few women in Congress comes to, the, um, to be the champion for, for Father's Day. And part of it was about questions about you know, the equality of, of mothers and fathers as parents and trying to think about you know, what is the relationship between you know, the mother and the father in terms of childcare obligations and, and parenting. Um, so I think that's a fascinating notion. Um, the, the moment though in which Father's Day is created in 1972, I think is, is can't be divorced from sorry, that's a bad note. <laughs> Anyway, um, from Vietnam. In as much as you know, there are fathers being sent off into Vietnam to die, there was a, a passage when the bill is, is debated in 1972 from Montana Senator Mike Mansfield, who linked the passage of the bill to Vietnam. He says uh, that the bill was uh, it, it's important to have Father's Day on the same status as Mother's Day in views of the burdens and responsibilities placed upon fathers during these trying times. And so he found a link, there was a linkage there. You know, the 70s when Father's Day becomes a national holiday, that was a very, I think interesting transitional period in terms of what fatherhood means in the United States. I think fatherhood is changing a lot in the 1970s. You know, it, it's then that fathers are, for instance, first, often first admitted into the delivery room. You know, the notion that the father's supposed to wait outside smoke cigars cigars. cigars. exactly or just drop his wife off at the hospital and go get dinner or some other kind you know that notion about what a father is is more than just provider but somebody who's supposed to parent from the very beginning i think there's a real changing notion of that in the 70s um you know obviously this is in the midst of of the women's rights movement in which you know that there's a whole changing dynamic about, about women and work and how that relates to parenting. Uh, and all of which I think sort of leads to kind of a, a, a politicization of, of Father's Day in the 70s um, in a variety of, of different ways. And there's a really great article by this uh, that I'm going to um, crib heavily from by Kristen Celio that's in the Washington Post. Because one of the things she points out is, is the 1970s are the sort of great age Or the beginning of the age of the no-fault divorce um, which feminists originally thought was being a a great step forward but they quickly realized led to all kinds of complicated fights over children and parenting and parental responsibilities who gets the children who gets alimony and and what have you Um, and some uh, feminists in the 70s said look we need to use father's day as an opportunity to pressure fathers to pay child support, uh, that that divorced fathers or uh, unmarried fathers need to take responsibility for their children. Um, In 1971, a group of women called uh, the Association for Children Deprived of Support picketed the home of a California assemblyman um, who was also potentially running for uh, governor, a guy named Robert Moretti, on Father's Day to press him to champion uh, child support uh, reforms, and in the years to come, there are lots of, quote, Father's Day actions across the country that were aimed at pushing fathers to pay child support, um, mostly led by the National Organization of Women. So you have women using Father's Day as, a, as an opportunity to say, look, fathers need to, if we're going to celebrate fathers, fathers need to to provide for their children. On the other hand, you also have some fathers often divorced fathers, also using Father's Day saying, look, if we're going to recognize fatherhood, we should give fathers joint custody and access to their children. You know, the other sort of half of this fight about, you know, child support um, and child custody is, is who gets to make decisions about children. And so there are a number of Father's Day rallies in the late 70s and 80s uh, led by uh, by men saying, you know, that, that as a father, I... would want to parent my children, but the ways in which the law privileges uh, mothers in custody battles, um, they thought was discriminatory. Um, And so it's interesting ways in which there was a moment for about a decade and a half in which Father's Day was kind of a, a, was politicized in in a pretty profound way.
1: This begs a question that's been percolating as we've had this discussion, David. Mm. And I think the rise of divorce in the nineteen seventies and eighties speaks to the point the question I'm gonna ask, which is in our modern world of blended families, mm. um Well, just complicated family arrangements, and family arrangements have always been complicated historically. I know that, but but we're no longer that ideal world of kind of mom and dad, nuclear family, dad working outside the house, mom at home. You know, only ever existed if it existed at all for a very short period of time for a very limited number of Americans. Hmm. Um, again, in that particular post-war period, are um, Father's and Mother's Day still fit for purpose? Should we be having these days at all? We have all, you know, we we know that there are all different kinds of family models, um, many of which work. There's no one size fits all. And these holidays are about kind of perpetuating um, norms that don't exist.
0: That's a very powerful critique. Um, Let me think about that for a second. On the one hand... I think there's a good argument. And I think some people do this—an argument against, you know, "quote unquote" hallmark holidays sure. that are intended to to part you from your money so you can get cards and flowers for various and sundry people, whether that's parents or, or other, uh, you know, holidays that are targeted at different, uh, you know, Grandparents Day, Teachers Day, but, whatever it is. Um, and I think there's a, a good argument to made against those. On the other hand. You know, I think fatherhood, you know, and parenting has changed quite dramatically over the past 50 years uh, since this became a national holiday. And I think we need to to recognize that. I mean, I think one of the things that, that is clear um, is that uh, parenting now is as challenging as it ever has been, That that... You know, the, um, the burdens placed upon parents right now are are profound. The access to, to good childcare is just very hard to get. You know, the challenges that young people are facing are, are, are profound. And consequently, those challenges are also quite profound for their parents as they try to help them navigate a world that, that uh, may not have been as straightforward as it, as it once was, at least for some people. Um, and I think you're right that, that, that our conceptions of how gender work and how uh, families work is very different than than it was, um, you know, and for some people, Father's Day is a very painful day, uh, because they may not have had a, you know, either a good relationship with their father or, or, or a father present in their lives. Same could be true for Mother's Day, Same could be true for lots of these things. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. That's. I think we need to sort of reevaluate the the, the, the merits of these these holidays you know, as we go forward. What okay, let me
1: ma- let me make the counterargument. Okay, and, and again, I don't. I I this. I'm grateful to you for the. I'm grateful to you for these conversations every week. But uh, you know, this know co- this that question really did occur hmm. to me as we were speaking. So I, I don't have an answer to it. Uh, let me flip it around and say, there's no harm in this, right? uh or or there some people may find it a difficult day i recognize that but but in general where's the harm in this and therefore if you want to celebrate your mother or your father or your mothers or your father any combination you want whatever you've got is good yeah you know god bless you and and um you could either celebrate the family you are born with or the one you made. And and so, so mm. you know, there, there's – and look, sure, it's Hallmark or whatever. And, and the, the, but again, as we indicated in our earlier conversation, again, I think that's a part of all these holidays. and People have complained about mm. the commercialization of them. And you can make it as commercial or as non-commercial as you'd like, frankly. Mm. You know, the, I bet you the best Father's Day cards you ever got were the ones your kids made when they were small, not the ones they bought you.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure they ever bought me one, okay. so I think well, it's just yeah, one but, well, when they were small.
1: <laughs> <laughs> ah, now we're getting to it. <laughs> this is about David's concern about Father's Day, uh, but 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 you know what I mean. So, so therefore, yeah. and 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 if you if you take a Sunday in June and want to celebrate or thank your dad if you've got one, there's no harm in that. Uh, yeah. so that that would be the counter argument. I mean, in other words, this is this is not a holiday. Freighted with, you know, uh, with or, or premised on a kind of historical injustice or problematic origins, like Thanksgiving, for I example, be sure. or Columbus Day, which both of which we've discussed in the past. You know, it's it's uh, sure not everybody has a good relationship with their father or has had one or necessarily has a father in their lives, and that's unfortunate. But for those that do, where's the harm? That that would be the counter argument. To saying these holidays aren't for no yeah. purpose anymore, and, and we, I'm we now I'm persuaded I, by both. <laughs> I, I, what would you be, your thought about having a,
0: a a parents' day?
1: I think parents' day would be fine. The, the case against it would be the howling of people who complain about cancellation and woke culture, etc. etc. It would just become a, another front in the culture in the never ending culture war if we said let's replace fathers and mothers' days with parents' day. Oh, well... It, it, you know that's what will oh tell me oh of that's, course you know, of course um, and 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 then and then it will become like the happy holidays versus merry christmas thing so so there is no i i think you and i agree but i would say there's no harm in parents day have parents day if you want um but i can imagine that this would just set off another as we said as i said another it would just be another front in the culture war and we'd end up probably not celebrating what we mean to celebrate by having it.
0: At least not in the first generation. In as much as these things. take sure. a while to catch up. Sure. And the of, other
1: thing I would say is let's not forget, these are actually transnational holidays days, to be sure. That are quite you know, as I said, there aren't many like that. Yeah. And and these are fairly universal. Now to some extent they are premised on the kind of gender essentialism we're trying yeah. to move beyond, and, and and so I have no problem with Parents but, Day, except that I think, oh God, it's just another another thing we're going to. Fight because about.
0: I am I am bothered by the the you know list you see every year of Mother's Day gifts and Father's Day gifts, and those are very gender essentialized. But I mean, you don't, you know, you, you don't, don't have to, to buy to, those to, to be to be sure, right? But they are in of themselves, I think you know, reinscribing certain ideas about what a father looks like and the things a father might want or be interested in and the things a mother might want to be interested in. I think that, you know, it reflects the, the, the period in time in which these, these holidays really, in the early 20th century, really took hold, you know, in which there was these very firm distinctions along gender lines that, uh, that we've um, hopefully are moving somewhat somewhat past
1: yeah okay I think we should wrap this up I, okay. want, to, I want to propose to you an exercise an exercise right. and I want to say to the listener that I did not warn David that this was coming but this is something that I thought about this morning which is it's I like want, a us, to, quiz I want us to have a That's draft a draft okay, In the drafting. way that American sports teams have drafts where you get to select things or people okay. uh, but we're selecting well we are selecting individuals I, uh, I, I was originally thinking we should we should we should list the uh, alternate we get to alternate choices in the form of of a sports draft of I originally thought we'll do the most famous fathers in American history or the best fathers in American history and that's really hard so I actually, uh, you, you, I sat down and I did some Googling. It's really complicated, and you end up in weird places where you only end up with celebrity fathers. Or George um, Washington, well, well, the father it, of our country who has George children. George Washington is very interesting. Well, he does have children, David. Is, Don't be so, okay, so traditional in no your bio, family. He has no oh, biological David. children. Mr. Oh, David. Mr. Oh, David. No, you're right. David. No, you are
0: right. Sorry, Frank. <laughs> you are 100% right, and I'm, you're right. <laughs>
1: um, yes, but, but, uh, but yes, George Washington would probably be the number one draft choice because he is the father of the country. And that's, it's very interesting the way that image is used. And um, I've given some thought to that. That's too serious. I, I want us to do a different kind of draft. Too sure. I want us to draft the best fathers in U.S. pop culture. So you can choose from movies, television, in your case, video games, I suppose. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> music. Music, okay. I wondered about Madonna's fictional father and Papa Don't Preach, maybe. <laughs> so I want you to pick. So we're, we're, we're going to alternate and we're going to pick the top ten fathers in American history. We each get five picks. Now, Now are we talking fathers who are good fathers or fathers who are iconic fathers? I think we're going with good fathers. Okay. I think we're going with good fathers. So uh, you can use any criteria you, you want. Because, you know, I would say Tony Soprano is an iconic father. I don't think he's a good, good father. father. Does that, that make that sense? That, that, that seems like fair. So, I just want so, to make sure we so understand the, the criteria. So, so, so somebody you'd want, a, a fictional person you would want is your father possibly. All right. Um, uh, so good fathers the, 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 uh, and, and, and I, I mean I've been thinking about this all morning. you, you don't have the advantage of that. I've been thinking right. about trying to think across time and space as well. Uh, so uh, because of course, the particularly with sitcoms mm. the family unit is so essential to the history of situation comedies, especially in American television, but not only, that there are loads and loads of really kind of archetypal and famous, Fathers, yes, and I want us to okay. So, to, and in fact, one thing I was thinking, we could almost confine it to TV, but I don't want to. I don't want to be that narrow, because uh, there are much better fathers in TV programs, I think, or well, better by how, however you want to define mm. it, than in movies. In part because in with a successful TV program, you're developing it over a long period of time, mm. and I think that works quite well. But anyway, okay, so. David, I'm going to give you first pick. No, no, no. no.
0: You've been thinking about this more. So you, you get the first pick, so I can then... I can then. Okay, so
1: I'm counting down, but there isn't really a much okay. difference. But I'm going to write these down. So I'm going to cheat. Okay, you're going to cheat. It was cheat. my first one. Of course he is is. possibly... Makes unfair. up the rules, no, and I'm then making, cheat on the Of course, yes. Pick. I'm making up the rules, and I'm... And I, so my... With the 10th pick, I am picking... The reason I'm cheating is this is actually from Canadian TV. That's fine. But it's on Netflix, and okay. I think it works. I want to take apa. From Kim's Convenience. If you watched Kim Kim's I, I Convenience? I cannot say I've seen it. It's these. fabulous. And it's set in a convenience store in, in Toronto. And the family is a family of Korean immigrants to Canada. And the dad and that, Appa, is fabulous. And he has a complicated relationship with, with his kids, particularly his son. But he's very, very good and has a very, very good sense of humor. And, uh, yeah. Okay. So so uh, that's the tenth pick. That's the,
0: okay. So, you, so you're going but down from like the all right. We're counting down, which, that. which is not that. not usually the way you draft things in sports, but that's fair
1: enough. Right, but it, so. it, 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 <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> making up the rules. So okay. so so uh, you're right. That, that is the opposite way. But but, uh, but I don't want to give away my top picks anyway. Fair so, enough. So okay. with with the ninth pick with number nine, nine. Who do you have it number nine. Okay, David?
0: so I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I have no idea what your picks are, so I'm probably gonna steal. No, some. we we have not I mean, consulted each other. Clearly, I have no idea what's going on until about 30 seconds ago. Right, I'm gonna pick one that, that is complicated because I think fatherhood is complicated, and I think um, this is probably the, the most iconic father uh, of the 70s and 80s. Darth Vader.
1: I thought he was on my list.
0: Now, obviously, he's a but is he a
1: good father, David? Come on.
0: (laughs) No, clearly not, right? But clearly, he's a father who made some pretty substantial mistakes. Um, But you know, at the very end of his life, he makes uh, he makes the choice to to sacrifice himself to save his son.
1: Okay. All right. Yep.
0: You know, but I think that it's intriguing that that's thinking about how fatherhood developed. And when those movies came out in terms of the sort of rise of of, of uh, single fatherhood and divorce, like there's a whole moment there. Uh, you know, George Lucas famously got divorced during that period. And, and that fits into this. And Axis, who does he have? So, yeah, I'm going to pick Darth Vader just because I think that's a interesting depiction of fatherhood if not a, Nice. Okay. I, I,
1: that was one of the ones I had on my list but I wasn't sure so I will have to go back to my draft board and okay, in, okay. in, in the war room. Um, I want somebody, so with the eighth pick at number eight, I want somebody who's an archetypal sitcom father. So I'm playing this mm. conventional unlike you. So I'm thinking here of the kind of classic early sitcoms like uh, Father Knows Best. Okay. Or a little bit later, the Brady Bunch. So yeah. you get Mike Brady. I don't want to give, give, necessarily give things away, but I'm going to take Ward Cleaver.
0: Okay, Ward Cleaver. Right. Who
1: was the father on Leave It to Beaver? Did you ever see Leave It to Beaver? Yes, I leave it to Beaver. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, if, I mean, I even I, old as I am, only saw it in reruns as a kid. But uh, Ward Cleaver was the archetypal 1950s TV dad. Okay. Always very patient, dispensed wisdom. Spent a lot of time smoking a pipe and reading the newspaper while June Cleaver, the mother, <laughs> you know, did all the labor in the house. But Ward Cleaver, um, and he was played by a guy named Hugh Beaumont. And I once saw graffiti in Connecticut that said, Hugh Beaumont lives. And I've always been intrigued by that. So that, that okay. somebody, some graffito um, was such a fan of Leave it to Beaver. Now this was a, a long time ago that they that they were inspired to do that. So, who do you have? Who's our seventh most important f- pop culture father?
0: I'm not, listeners, I'm not taking this very seriously. i not Because it's not a serious assignment. Fred Munster. Nice. Have you seen the Munster? You've well, seen the yeah, Munster. Of course, I've seen the, the Munster, Munster. But okay.
1: anyway, justify your pick.
0: Um, so, you know, the the Munsters were kind of actually a riff, I guess, on the, the Adams family yep. in their own way. Uh, but it, which both of them were riffs on. Um, on the sitcom stereotype, leave it to beaver, father knows best kinds of tropes, uh, he seemed like a father who was actually very involved in his children's lives and gave, gave good advice and, and and listened to his children a lot. And I think that's one of the key things about fatherhood is not only sort of, you know, the father knows best telling the children what to do, but the, the parent who can listen and learn from their children Um I think that's a, an admirable quality. I okay. Think, I want to see... Did Fred Ward play? I don't remember. It was a long time.
1: Okay. I want... With my sixth pick, I would like Fred Sanford from Sanford. Oh,
0: that's a really good one. I, I don't think that's a, a show necessarily that some of our listeners will be familiar with. Uh, it was a great show. It was a great in show. In
1: the 1970s. And it was... was um, was it in the same stable as the Jefferson and all in the family? The Jeffersons and all. I the think family? it was.
0: It was in the yes. I think it was like the same production the company, company. Yeah.
1: But Fred Sanford's very good father, and his very played by Red Fox. Yeah, played by Red Fox, and and uh, yeah, and and very very good and interesting there because the relationship turns on his relationship with his adult child, yes. his adult son and most of our idealized uh, pop culture parents are, are the parents of the fathers of, in this case, young children. children right. So I've got Fred Sanford. At, uh, and, and that's a remake of Steptoe and Son, which was a British program. Really? Yeah. Huh. I did not know that.
0: All right, my next one's going to be problematic, because why not? Um, cause it was, but it was something that was portrayed as the ideal of fatherhood at the time, and so I'm going to divorce the character from the um, actor who... Played him.
1: I know uh, where you're going, going with this. With I thought a lot thought about, about this, this one. one,
0: right? That's um, the uh, Bill Cosby on the Cosby Show. So he's
1: Cliff Huxtable.
0: Cliff Huxtable, of course, is the character's name. But although they called it the Cosby Show, and not Huxtable, I don't know. Um, so, okay. So he's he's a pediatrician or an obstetrician, I think, in this show. I think he's an obstetrician. So he's clearly involved in parenthood very much in the beginning. His wife has a high-powered job i think she's a lawyer lawyer. you know and and they clearly are doing lots of co-parenting on the show uh you know where there isn't necessarily a a clear gendered hierarchy in in how parenting works um obviously the the actor hugely Mm -hmm. problematic on, on 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 a lot of levels uh, but but the character was very much held up in the '80s as being the the ideal of a certain kind of, of fatherhood.
1: Okay, I, I mean I, I have to confess that I thought a lot about this this well, about this particular character this morning when I when I mm. came up with this cockamamie idea. And I wondered a degree, and this is something perhaps for another time, another episode, the degree to which. Bill Cosby's clearly problematic behavior, and I, I am in no way suggesting that you are endorsing or supporting. No, that no, no, behavior. no. Yeah,
0: I'm talking about the character. Yeah, I,
1: and and I yeah. So this is not a criticism of you, but I want to raise a philosophical question: whether that kind of invalidates the the fictional character. And would you watch the Cosby Show now? I mean, they won't show it now. No, because of no. It, but... I don't think I would. I don't think I'd enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, so so it. it
0: I, I'm referring here to the memory I have of watching it right. fondly in the in the 80s. Yeah, Me too. And, and he was... America's dad.
1: He was America's dad. He was America, And, and now we're going to just write that out. So I, I admire your courage. There's no courage involved. This is it's a podcast, podcast and we're making things up. Um, I, w- I thought of him but but ruled him out. Because okay. I am, uh, I am occupying the high moral ground, David. Of course. While you wallow in the sewer of your depravity. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, so, David, you and Cliff Huxtable can live on an island together. Uh, I want to go with another Fred. We've got three Freds, by the way. Okay. Flintstone. Oh, of course. Fred Flintstone. Working class father. We don't get many of those, necessarily. Although, I guess Fred Sanford was a little bit... Uh, uh, well. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's definitely uh, a little yeah, yeah, okay. bit. But... but because uh, most of these portrayals are of uh, are often middle class parents, most of the ones mm. on, on American television at this period for much of the past uh, few decades, but I think Fred Flintstone is an archetypal um, father to Pebbles and ban Bam. Okay you... no, uh, Pebbles. no, Pebbles, Pebbles, Pebbles. Yeah, yeah, right, Ban-Ban is, is Barney Robinson. Now he might be, be- <laughs> Ban-Ban's father too but <laughs> well, that's a different... <laughs> That's a different story. <laughs> yeah, I'm Frank. breaking this wide open. No, you're right to Pebbles, but but um, he's very dedicated to Wilma. Um, I like his, you know, he he's got outside interests, which I think are important. Mm. You know, he's very committed to his bowling league. That's um, true. I, I think Fred celebrates Flintstone... celebrates Christmas five million years too early. Right? You know, yeah, that's yeah what, but um, well, he's not a he's not afraid to live with dinosaurs. <laughs> um, I, I think Fred Flintstone is uh, our fourth best. Um and he's very dedicated to his to to his child. Okay, I think so. Fred Flintstone. Huh.
0: I'm gonna go with one that I haven't seen in many years, so I can't remember, so, But but I think it's an interesting example given the story we're telling here. Kramer versus Kramer. I'm not sure. I don't even remember what the character's name was. You might remember. I don't. Or, I mean, I remember the film. film but I don't remember, I remember but. You know, I think in terms of a depiction of fatherhood in media that, that challenges ideas about... Do you think he's a good father? I think he's trying to be a father in a very challenging time to be a father in which the idea of what being a father is is being redefined.
1: Okay. Fair I mean, right. in as much as
0: many of these other characters are embodying a... Sort of received notion of what a father what fatherhood is supposed to be you know like one can imagine fred flintstone's father doing exactly the same being the same kind of father that he was and there was sort of a you know a notion in this you know the, the tv sitcom dad from the 50s to the 80s where there's sort of an immutable of idea of what fatherhood is um so I wanna pick one that was that was outside of that, that box in terms of, of one one that is trying to wrestle with with uh, what fatherhood is like.
1: Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, with my final pick, so the number two greatest father in American popular culture history. Okay. I, I'm really torn about this and I, I I'm gonna hold off on the the one I'm not picking. Um, my alternate for this, uh, because you might pick him. Um, so I'm going with Martin Crane from Fraser. Oh, so Martin Crane, of course, is the father of Niles and Fraser Crane yes, in yes. Fraser. I think again, it's interesting because it depicts an adult relationship, and indeed Martin's elderly. Um, and and because he was shot as a policeman, he's he's. Uh, he's living with his son Fraser, so that he's in a slightly different position than most of these other fathers. But I think Martin Crane is a very both well, played by John Mahoney, but a very uh, interesting character. Um, he has to deal with the fact that he's from a kind of he's a former policeman and from a working class background and has these two effete, um, snobby sons who... They clearly love each other, but they clearly love each other the wrong way. So it's not an idealized relationship, but it's very amusing. So I would say Martin Crane.
0: Good. And again, that's another one with the with the adult sons. Yeah, which nice.
1: I think is interesting. Um, okay. And then if you don't take the one I, I had in mind... So this is weird because my other number one... Should be on this list because he's ranked much higher than some of these others. But uh, we right. haven't done that. We I, I didn't think this through properly. Let's re-record it. No, no, no. no. <laughs> go ahead. All right. Who's the number one father in U.S. popular culture? Um. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> All right. So you went with movies. Interesting. Well, because I think they they tend
0: to. I wanted to get away from the 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 ones that give somewhat more. Edge to what fatherhood is. Like. Okay,
1: so so tell us. So the
0: the the basic plot of the, the Robin Williams film is that that he's a divorced father who, who who wants to spend time with his children. His mother their their mother has taken them uh, away, and so he impersonates a a nanny so that he can spend time with his children. You know, and 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 hilarity ensues. Right. Um, it, it's a comedy. It's doing. You know Robin William things uh, but I think in terms of, of a uh, you know a, a, some a, if you take the the, the, the few minutes of that movie that are serious about about a father trying to connect with the children in in times when when that is increasingly hard that that's a movie that that jumped out to me
1: okay I'll tell you my reserve then your reserve that's, choice okay. was either they were both from modern family Oh yes, I was thinking of Jay Pritchett. Yes, who again, father of adult children, but also very, very funny, played by the guy who played Al Bundy, of course, yes, which yes, is yes, something yes. we left out. Um, but uh, or Cameron Tucker from uh, Modern Family. Oh, okay. But not Phil Dunphy. You, I find the most annoying father in American <laughs> history. So our list, and you didn't go with the one I thought you might. Okay.
0: I might have if I'd given this thought beforehand, uh, but yes. you sprung it on me. Right, so well, who did you
1: thought I was gonna pick? Homer Simpson. I
0: find The Simpsons. In, I mean, I found the first like three seasons of The Simpsons fun. Right. Okay. and then I Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm not a huge Simpsons guy, fan, but I thought you might go with Homer Simpson. You know, Simpson and in Family
0: Guy is the same right. you know, like those they're not necessarily good fathers nope.
1: particularly. They're they're just yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah, yeah. all right. So people. so just to remind our listeners, this is the countdown of This is a very unofficial, non-scientific. But if you like this, we'll do this again. (laughs) But we might give it more thought. So we have... And uh, it's invidious to rank them, really, but I'll count them down anyway. At number 10, we have Mr. Kim Appa from Kim's Convenience. At number 9, David's choices are more idiosyncratic. We have Darth Vader. At number 8, representing the Golden Age, we have Ward Cleaver. At number 7, subverting the Golden Age, we have Fred Munster. At number six, we have Fred Sanford. At number five, very controversially, if this were a U.S. sports draft, this is somebody that clearly the team would have had to do some due diligence about. We have Cliff Huxtable. At number four, we have Fred Flintstone. At number three, we have Kramer versus Kramer. We don't know what his name is. I'm going to look up what his name is. But he's not Kramer from Seinfeld. No, clearly not. At number two, we have Martin Crane. And at number 1 we have Mrs. Doubtfire. That's right. Would you be happy to have any of these people all of them any or all of them as your father David? Uh, 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 honestly no I kind of like the father I've got, thank you. Oh, uh, well, well played
0: David, well played. <laughs> uh and uh the the Kramer and Kramer versus Kramer is is Ted.
1: Ted Kramer,
0: played by Dustin Hoffman, yeah. of course.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean, you you've got more notable actors in your roles actually, but uh well, I'm not sure about that. But anyway,
0: anyway okay. time for last drops, Frank. What last drops.
1: Yeah, hey, I want to actually turn a little bit more serious now, and I want to recommend to you a speech given by Darren Walker. Uh, Darren Walker is the president of the Ford Foundation, and he gave a, at a he gave an address at Monticello uh, a couple of days ago at their Juneteenth commemorations, a holiday we discussed last year, uh, called Ascendant Together, and it was at the rededication of the um, burial ground for enslaved people at Monticello Um, and uh, it's an incredibly powerful statement about what Juneteenth means and slavery and the history of of slavery and memory in the United States and he draws a connection between Jefferson, a very problematic father, (laughs) in all kinds of ways, and Jefferson's legacy and the history of enslavement in the United States, and the the relationship, and the obvious contradiction between the ideals that Jefferson articulated both in his public life, but also to a degree in his private life, and the practice of his slavery, uh, of uh, his practice of slavery and enslavement at Monticello. It's a very powerful statement. If you can find it, it's available, um, uh, lots of places on the internet. There will be
0: a link to it on the, yeah, on the show notes. But if for...
1: I would commend to you Darren Walker's address ascending together commemorating Juneteenth and the dedication of this uh, uh, the rededication of the enslaved burial ground in Monticello the other day.
0: Great. What about you David? Uh, well I wanted to alert people to an article in the Huff Post about Mabel Blair uh, who is uh, 95 years old. She uh, was a, a player for the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League which was the uh, pro league for women uh, from 1943 to 1954 uh, she was a pitcher uh, in the movie League of uh, League of Their Own, which I'm sure that you've seen, Frank, and many of our other listeners have seen. She was she played the character played by Madonna was based on her, so an interesting figure. Uh, and they're making a new version of League of Their Own for I think Amazon Prime. But the thing that the article points out about uh, uh, Miss Blair uh, is that now at age 95, for the first time, she she came out as a lesbian, which I think is a very interesting statement uh for for pride month uh in in, here in, in june
1: where is she where does she live do you know i don't know where she lives
0: but she's been doing promotional events for this new uh amazon prime thing that's coming out and that's sort of the context in which you know she said she's been sort of uh closeted really but uh you know since the the 1940s but uh and i thought this was the the moment in her life that made sense but she seems like a very delightful 95 year old woman uh who is still sort of uh well i hope to be that active when i'm throwing heat exactly (laughs) right i I don't know the last time she pitched a game but uh she's clearly a a woman to be reckoned with excellent all right cheers Cheers,
1: david happy father's day happy father's day (laughs)
0: The Whiskey Rebellion is hosted by David Silkenet and Frank Cogliano. David is a senior lecturer in American history at the University of Edinburgh, and Frank is Professor of American History and Dean International for North America at the University of Edinburgh. The Whiskey Rebellion is available on iTunes, Stitcher and Podbean. You can follow the show on Twitter at Whiskey Rebel Pod, and like the show on Facebook for updates about current and future episodes.